This podcast is dedicated to the proposition that every Christian should be a constant and devoted reader of the Bible, and that the primary business of the church and its ministry is to lead, foster, and encourage people in this life-changing habit. So we're back in Luke right now. We're in Luke chapter 7 through 12. We have with us Johnny, Ben, Dave, myself, Judah, and we've been in this section for for quite some time, and uh, as we were kind of getting ready to, uh, to start recording here, um, Johnny already kind of jumped in and, and just kind of pointing out the contrast of, I guess, Luke Luke 9, where Jesus calls his 12 disciples to Luke 10, where now he's sending out 72 people uh, two by two on their little mission trip and just kind of the chaos, I think, that must have been uh, been there. But anyhow, uh, so we can talk about that. We can talk about whatever, but uh, let's let's open up for uh, whatever observations you guys have had. I was just saying, like, we, you know, we were talking before we started recording this and uh, talking about the Chosen and just the different character development of the Romans and Matthew and is, is he on the spectrum or not or just a little, you know, particular in OCD. And then I, I was a th- I, it got me thinking about the 72 and how that's a greater number than obviously the 12 and how different the apostles are portrayed in the Bible and or in depictions and how much more interesting it must have been when Jesus says, you know, the harvest is like ripe, you know, but the workers are few. And then he gathers 72 people. I'm assuming he's giving them the tools to be the fishers of men, right? Like he says to Peter and then sends them out in, in here in Luke. So I just wanted to hear everyone's thoughts on that, you know? Yeah, the first thought that I had was, or a comment that I wanted to make is, if anybody knows, I, I checked a couple Bibles. This particular Bible that I have says 72. But when I checked a couple others, it says 70, and I, I yeah. didn't look up the translation, it, you, you know, the, the actual Hebrew, Aramaic, or whatever language it was where they're getting this, tra- you know, 72 or 70. And I don't know if anybody had a comment on that. Before you give me your comment, I thought 70 was a more appropriate number because it was, and again, if it's 72, it is, but 70 is symbolic number to the Jews. Um, at that time, and Luke was a historian, uh, he would have known that at that time they recognized, for instance, 70 nations of the world. Uh, additionally, just one other thing, there was um, the Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin, however you want to pronounce it, had 70 members. And there were other things that revolved around the number 70. Does anybody have any comments on that? I'm actually looking, there actually is a footnote in the app here that says that some manuscripts do say 70. Yeah. So they, uh, well, number one, we weren't there. This might be just a thing because 72 is six times 12. So maybe they want to keep the dozen thing going in somebody's mind because maybe they think that's like a luckier thing but then the 70 you're right i mean because even jesus uses like yeah how many times should i forgive somebody 70 times seven yeah yeah there's that's another thing yeah Yeah, so it's it's not like it's the i was just curious but again you know and then it it brought me back to the cure my curiosity stems from the fact that uh because translation my wife happened to ask me yesterday you know i'm trying to get her a little bit interested you know without pushing her and uh, and then I was reading this. Uh, we were in Rhode Island over the weekend, and I was sitting at the table when she got up and reading. And and so she said, "Well, why does it say this, or how does it say this?" I said, and, and and I started talking to her. There's a lot. There's different translations, mm-hmm. and and then it made me think of that. And I didn't go into explaining that to her, but I just said that yeah, there there are different explanations. But if you read it, you know, just about any Bible you pick up, you're you're going to you know, get what you need to know out of it. But again, comments, if, if any. So from what I can see, uh, in the original Greek, mm. basically it says the number 70, 
but right next to it in parentheses, lichen is the word two, T W O. So that's why there's the number showing up 72 in some transliterations, like let's say like the New International, the English Standard, or uh, the New Living Translation will say things like it sent forth 72 disciples, but the older things like the King James, the New King James, or the NASB is gonna say 70. Okay. So it's, okay. it's because they don't know if that means 70 too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just okay. because of the way it was written. And I don't want to go crazy on yeah, that because yeah. the, actually the main what, what, point... What, what if it's a math thing and it's 70 times 2 and there's actually 140? <laughs> well, that's good because that brings me, that'll bring me to my point so we can get off of it if it's 72 or 70 is that in that, that 72, and somebody mentioned, Johnny mentioned, starts out with 12 disciples. And first he started with one at, one at a time. And then, he, and then he got 12 disciples or 12 apostles. And so now we've got 70 or 72, whichever it is. And, and, and then Jesus sends them out to spread the word. And what Luke is presenting here, where the number really becomes important, is this is a picture of the new community, as far as I can see. You know, this is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. He began with himself, and then the 12, and then the 70 or 72, and then the church, and then it is spread to where we are today. That was the, again, I, I don't know if Luke could see that far ahead, but he was really painting a picture of the new kingdom, of what it would look like, and, it, and people just going out, and that's what Jesus had planned. And we'll t I, 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 Something else that I want to say, when we get to another, the next chapter, I think it was about, you know, when Jesus realizes that, okay, something is hit here. Something, you know, I, I've, I've struck a chord with at least a couple of people, and my work is done. Yeah, this is a crucial moment in church history, yeah. if you think about it, because it is. this is, you know, Jesus's arrival in the, in this three-year window of his ministry, right, in, that we're seeing in Luke. It's like, this is sowing the seeds of the New Testament being written. This is sowing the seeds of the early church fathers. This is sowing the seeds of what essentially is going to trigger the persecution of Christians early on from, what, Muslims, right? Yep. From pagans or Romans or heathens, right? And not just that, but also from Jews, their own people. So you're essentially like putting a, a mark on your, on your forehead or on your back. It's like, I'm your enemy now. Mm -hmm. Completely ostracizing you from society. It, it says it right here in 10.3. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Yeah, it's brutal, right? So Basically, I'm sending you out to die almost. Yeah. You know? there, there is something that I do, I do want to address before we get straight too far from it. So in that 70 versus 72 thing, the actual Greek word is duo, right? And it gets translated into English as two. And you guys probably know I'm a stickler for translations and transliterations and what things mean and all that other stuff. So my question to you guys who might know the scriptures better than me is, in the New Testament, I know there's like um, Barnabas and Titus and you had Timothy and Paul. You, you sort of had people split up into groups. What, was it split up into groups of two when they were out on the road doing their work or no? Sometimes, not always. But not always, not right? Not always, okay. but a lot of the times it was. Jeff. Okay, yeah, I'm just trying to understand if it was like Ben was saying, is this 70 you know, people. 70 groups. Yeah, times twice, yeah. right? Like going with, or is this just sending out 70 people in groups of two? Or if it's, you know, 72 well, it's even like, people. It's like, there's other times where it gets confusing. Like when they talk about uh, feeding the 5,000, it's the 5,000 men. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could have been upwards of over 10,000 people for as far as we Just when I think of duo, I think of, I think of a duo as like two people. You know what I mean? Obviously from my musical background, but it's just, so I just was curious. 70 duels. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, you know. But while we're on that, chapter 10, 
although I got some things on nine, but on chapter 10 there, again, it, focusing on the 72 to 70, and maybe that's another conversation, but just what's important there to me is uh, line four, for instance, yeah, Jesus yeah. says to them, don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, which was pretty common, nor an extra pair of sandals, which was also common then. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. So what, what Jesus is saying is, and, and this applies to us too, because we get so bogged down with materialistic things. Jesus is saying, travel light, no clutter, no clutter, stay on task. Don't be distracted. Exactly. This is what he's saying here. And, and I, I looked up a, a verse, 2 Kings, chapter 4, verse 29. Elisha is talking to Gehazi and, because they've got to go to check out this, this boy. He's, Elisha says to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Mm -hmm. Same thing back then. It's just, again, we need, they had a job to get done, and Jesus is yeah. telling the disciples. We mean business. Yeah, we mean business. Travel light. And then there's also like there's not like if you travel light if there is an issue because you know in a previous one he does talk about I'm sending lambs into the midst of wolves if you're not carrying anything you are way it's a lot easier for you to escape if you have to. you can you can move you can move on if you have to yeah I mean and was it uh, is it an axe where like you know they're, they have to go and leave the town because they're looking to kill them you know stuff like that is happening so like that's that's some foreshadowing there of like. Yeah, you don't want to bring anything because when you have to leave, you might just have to leave. Exactly. So, so what is the business that that Jesus is sending out these seventy some odd people to go? Like, what what is this message? What is this correspondence he wants these people to go and share? It's essentially, if you get down to uh, Luke ten, um, verse eleven, mm -hmm. it's kind of like a you know even the dust um, of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against it. But it's the nevertheless know this that the kingdom of God has come near. So what he's essentially sending these messengers out with the message is that the kingdom of God is here yeah, or near or coming, right? So at least that's, that's what I gather from this section. Yeah, that and they're, they're going to heal the sick. And be a peace to this house, yeah. bringing peace, healing, yeah. prayer. Yeah, we talked about it last week that uh, Jesus was concerned not only about the soul, the spiritual part, but about the physical well-being of people too. We talked about that in our last episode. I found something interesting here, verse 11. Go to 13. My book says, What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon. Their if it, they had been done, uh, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. But the, the, the phrase or the words that I, I focused on, I, and I, I want to know your opinion is, of course, for if the miracles I did in you, this Chorazin, it is not mentioned, as far as I know, anywhere else in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so what this says to me is that Jesus is saying here, for the miracles I did in you. So people don't realize sometimes, and, and I know I don't, I don't know how you guys think about it, but in addition to what we're reading here there is so much more. This is just a capsule of what Jesus did. He did so many other things. Gorzin, you don't even know anything about that. It's nowhere else, but he did something. And, and, and you may remember this verse. I, I looked this up because I knew I, I had seen it somewhere. Gospel of John, chapter 21, the last verse, the last chapter, last verse, 25. John, after recounting everything about Jesus that he wants to, he says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could, could not contain 
the books that would be written. So we forget that. I think I lose sight of that, that in addition to what's here, this Corazon thing made me think of that John verse that he did things that we don't hear about. So many things that we don't hear about because this is just a capsule of his life. They didn't capture. It's not a true biography of everything that he did his whole life. Yeah. Well, and and the thing of it is, too, is that, I mean, again, we we see, like you say, uh, kind of a a snapshot. I mean, another thing that kind of gives us an indication into some of this is, um, let's see, Acts 1, verse 21 where it says, so now we must choose a replacement for Judas among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. And whoever is chosen will join us a witness as of Jesus' resurrection. So obviously Judas went and killed himself. So now they're saying we need to set a new figurehead of this apostle you know the apostles we need we want to have 12 we want to maintain this 12 for whatever whatever reason and and they said so the qualifications is that he had to be there from the baptism to uh the ascension right so that's that's a that's the entirety of jesus ministry pretty much and it says they nominated two men joseph called bar sabbath also known as justice and Matthias. So ultimately they ended up selecting Matthias, right? Yeah. So that that was just always interesting because again that that kind of corroborates with this 70 thing. It's like Justice and Matthias were with Jesus the whole time. from the yeah. baptism to the ascension as were any number of other people, maybe exactly. 70 yeah. if not more, right. honestly. Um, that they were out there. And, and again, th- this whole missionary trip that they did, we don't know how long that was. Um, if it was, you know, three days, if it was three months, we don't really know. Um, but they did certainly go out there. Like you said, they, they were healing. Um, and then they had kind of this, uh, this message that they were supposed to say in verse 9, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So they're, again... Kind of much like John the Baptist, you know, preparing the way for the, the, the kingdom of God to come. So undoubtedly, Justice and Matthias were some of these these two that were in here. Um, as far as the 70 versus the 72, I don't know if there's any significance in it other than just coincidental. I mean, I, my first thing as well, maybe the, the, the issue was, you know, when uh, when two of the guys were counting it, they didn't count themselves in the count or, you know, or, or whatever. It's like, you never know. Um, or they didn't count Jesus or they did count Jesus or, you know, or, or whatever the, the case may be. But we do know that they went out, they were sent out kind of preparing the way. And then verse 17, I think is, um, just kind of, a an interesting recap from that versus the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so in other words, like this is a pretty successful mission. Like they went out two by two following his commandments. They didn't bring money. They didn't bring really any provisions. They just went, they found a house. And I mean, these villages, like, I don't know. I mean, they might've been like little small outskirt villages with a half a dozen little, you know, tents or who, who knows 
the uh, the expanse of what they were doing, um, but they're going promoting Jesus, saying, "Hey, the kingdom of God is here." Let me tell you what I've been experiencing over the last X amount of months, days, years, weeks. I don't know. And they're kind of beginning to spread this uh, again, you, like Johnny said, probably in, in preparation for uh, the expansion of the early church. Again, you know, I, I think there's so many untold stories. Obviously, like you said, Dave. There's the untold miracles, like the ones like you mentioned, never really had thought about that, about the, the, the Corazon thing. It's like, yeah, we don't really have any record of what he did there, but apparently he did a lot there. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we know that numerous times it says, you know, oh, he healed all the sick that were brought to him. And we don't know what that meant, what that looked like, what the, the sicknesses. Yeah, we were. get one vignette. We get yeah. one person that yeah. they talk I mean, about, but there were hundreds, maybe thousands that came to him at, the, right. at any we, given point. We know that his ministry lasted, I don't know, somewhere in the vicinity of three years. And so that's somewhere in the vicinity of possibly a thousand days. And how much did he do in each of those days? I mean, probably a lot. A lot of, a lot of it focuses on the time period, honestly, uh, of, uh, of from the, the triumphal entry to the crucifixion because there was a lot that happened in there a lot of teaching a lot of that obviously matthew really leans heavily on uh the sermon on the mount other gospels focus on different things but again you know there's so many untold stories and you see you see shadows of that even in paul's writings where he talks about these super apostles that are coming through preaching the gospel and and he's like kind of comparing himself to them and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, he's kind of almost saying like, I, you know, I'm not less than they are or whatever else. And it's like, we don't know specifically who they are, but very likely some of these 70 or possibly more, Hey, Hey, they saw the, the baptism, they saw the Ascension and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm not as vocal. I was never in the inner group like James was, but Hey, I'm going to go for it too. And they're going out probably doing some great, amazing things too. So, I mean, we often think of the spread of the early church as based on the backs of, you know, people like Peter and Paul. And then we forget about the Barnabas and Apollos who are mentioned and who were every bit as instrumental in the early church as Paul was, but they were just barely mentioned. And then how many other people were not even mentioned because they were just out there like, you know, like if talk about Thomas, who's like, okay, I'm going to India, guys. See you later. You know, and it's just like, we don't know what happened. You know, I mean, church history kind of tries to fill in some of the gaps, but some of these gaps will never be filled in until we enter eternity ourselves. Uh, it definitely says that too in Luke 10. Uh, if you actually start from where we were um, talking about Tyre and Sidon, and it goes on to talk about uh, in Luke 10, verse 15. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Should you be brought down to Hades? It's like it's like your choice, showing that God gives everybody like the choice. It's like he wants to he could do it himself, but he wants to work through people. He wants to work in relationship with us. He wants us to be a part of this kingdom, not just like some governor or king that just rules over and just, you know, has a remote control and is pushing all the buttons. He's inviting us to live life with him eternally, right? So you see that where he's he's questioning this. And, and, then, and then it goes on to say in 16, the one who hears you, talking about these 70 people going out, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me 
rejects him who sent me, right? So again, this is God trying to reconcile fallen humanity to him, right? And he's doing it through what? Through people, through imperfect people, through broken people, but inviting you to set aside your brokenness and to get excited about what God is doing, which is bringing forth healing, repentance, mercy, salvation, like forgiveness, all these great things in this new kingdom come, right? The verse Judah read, well, just going down from what you said, Johnny, uh, 17, Judah read that, that, you know, disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, even the, I mean, they were so excited, they, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we used your name. The next, the next couple lines I, I, I highlighted because they, uh, to me, point out <laughs> an old jewel that we keep bringing up. He says, yes, Jesus told them, uh, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among the snakes and the scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Here we go again, a warning against pride. In other words, don't get too cocky. Okay, yeah, you did this here. Because I wrote this line down. I don't know where I got. Our greatest glory is not what we have done, but what God has done for us. Exactly. And, and this is what Jesus is saying to them. Don't let pride. I, I've seen Satan fall from heaven. And, and, and according to the story, what caused Satan's fall? Pride. So that was important to me there. I, every time I see something, it's pride. And, and he falls like lightning, too. So, like, like God's yeah, like, I mean, God's I, not I in like light, Yeah, it's like he's not even wasting time. It's like, you're out of here. Yeah. Gone. And, and, and to me, and, and I've just tried to dispel pride. I mean, it creeps up every now and then. I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm nowhere near there. But pride will bar us from heaven. That, that's what bars you from heaven, and that's what Jesus kept talking about here. Um, and uh, the opposite of it, which we've talked about, is humility. And I think humility is our passport to heaven, to our passport to God. Uh, God likes humble people, as Jesus did. I didn't pick up pride in that part. I do see it now that the way you're wording it, especially with the uh, 1017, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Um, but the way I read it was it'd be easy to rejoice, like when someone gets healed, when you lay on hands and they get healed. And it's like, everyone rejoice. You know, it's God has done a miracle here, right? Give thanks to God. Praise God. But it's easy to be like, wow, you know, like God chose chose us to do this and we were walking in humility or whatever, right? So, and he used that or, or however you want to frame it, but it's easy to celebrate that moment. But what God is essentially saying here is you shouldn't rejoice about that. That's that's small potatoes, right? That's that's nothing. You should rejoice that your name is written in eternity. You're, you're living in the moment right now, celebrating, but really you have all eternity to, to if you thought this was cool, you know, just wait till you... So you get to exist with me forever outside of all this nonsense. I think know? what Jesus is saying, if Jesus is saying is if we give the glory to God for anything that we do, just as the, as the disciples here, that's okay. But if how many times do we do something and we think it's, you know, ourselves, oh yeah, I'm, I, you know, and, and the pride creeps in and oh, yeah. yeah, I did this, you know, I helped you get better. Or I did this or I did that. It, it's, it's I, it becomes ego then we're all full of pride we, we don't we, even realize we do that it, yeah. i mean i know i do i'm, I'm that I'm, i relate this to myself as i've told you time and again so but you know i'm just thinking is it really pride though if you if you are really that good <laughs> if you're the if you're the I best love you, ben. thanks is that a question you want us to pursue here and go down that rabbit hole ben? okay uh yeah it's pride i'm just gonna answer it like that well the, the thing too is that everybody wants their miracle 
and their breakthrough and this and that and whatever. And, and I mean, obviously, God heals and God delivers from demonic oppression and God brings freedom from addiction. But the miracle of all miracles is forgiveness and salvation. And it's like somebody says, well, I'm just waiting for my miracle. If you believe in Jesus, then you've got it. Like you've got a miracle like this, like the miracle of removing sin from your life is a bigger miracle than raising a dead man from the ground. Right. Because that's doing something that we just could not do on our own. Yeah. Like like Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Right. And that's a great miracle. Like we all, and he raised uh, another person from the dead, you know, and the widow's son. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about the other day. But but here's the thing, right? In all of those cases, the, those people died again, right? So it's like the miracle was not permanent and was not lasting, even though Jesus did it. You know, every single person that Jesus healed, ultimately he healed them to, at some point, probably get sick and die, right? But the salvation is a miracle that lasts for eternity. He's removing our sin. And, you know, is it is it better to, you know, live a long and productive life with a burden of sin? Or is it better to live a short, sick, miserable life and die, but have your sins removed? You know, it's like, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not trying to um, go down the cessationist path that some people are like, well, God doesn't do miracles anymore. No, because he obviously does. He still heals. He still restores. He still does amazing, miraculous things. But we always have to remember the biggest miracle is the fact that he's taken our sins away from us and he's offered us forgiveness uh, from sin. I just talked to somebody this past week, you know, because we were uh, talking about forgiveness and, and they were saying when, you know, we were praying, uh, she prayed for and asked for forgiveness. And it's like, she's like, I just felt this weight lifted off of my chest that had been, it's like, I wasn't even aware that it was there until it was gone. And it's like, it is like that. that that's supernatural. It though, is like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is the miracle because you could have say, I don't know, some disease, right. And get healed and still have that weight. And what good is that? You're still going to die in your sin. So, and, and I was thinking, as you're saying about the fo- the people that Jesus raised from the dead, let's say the, you know, Jairus' daughter and Lazarus, they ultimately had to die again, as you said, Judah. But in raising them from the dead, they had an opportunity. They had an opportunity, and I'm wondering if they took it. The little girl would she know? Would she to to accept salvation? Right. Uh, and, and the same thing with Lazarus is, you know, yes, he had his sisters there and they were followers of Jesus. Don't know about Lazarus. But now that he had life again before he died again, as you said, or the little girl, 12, I think she was, what, 12 years old. Uh, did they take the opportunity to take that salvation because they had another child? Right. I tell you this right now. You take it. Yeah. <laughs> you take it. Well, yeah. You do. And, you and take see, it. He, here's the thing. You know, again, you know, because so often in, in uh, Jesus movies. Um, you know, you, you see the 12, there's so much emphasis on the 12, the 12 and the three, right? Peter, James, and John, and then the, the rest of the 12 who, you know, they're, they're just kind of the, this ragtag group, right? But imagine, Dave, imagine 
your your daughter is sick and about to die, right? And you bring her to Jesus and he heals her. Now what do you do? See you, Jesus. It's been nice. Thanks. You're like, I'm coming with you, man. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like, well, yeah, that, or, or, that's or, true. or the brother is yeah. like, okay, mom, dad, I don't have any plans for the next year or two. I'll see you. And so it's like, this was magnetic. It's like, I don't know. He's well, talking about eating his body, but you know what? This is, this is a wild ride and I'm here for it, man. And so. I would, and I would do that. Of course, I, I feel that I would do that. On the other hand, we think of the, what was it? The 10 lepers that he healed right. and, and nine didn't come only back. Only one thanked him. Only, right. only one did. So right. you think of that. So it, uh, it, it's not the same as being brought back from the dead, but in a sense, back then it was because if, right. as a leper, you were dead. So immediately when you said that, Jude, I said, yeah, for my daughter, I, I'd be there. I'm, I'm, I'm whatever Jesus needs me to do. You know, wash your feet for every day for the rest of my life. I'm there. Uh, but those nine lepers didn't come back. So there are people that would right. maybe do what you just said, say, hey, see you, Jesus. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of them didn't follow. But a lot of them, I mean, again, <clears throat> when we get to the feeding of the 5,000, right, or the feeding of the 10,000, I mean, think about the, the crowds that are, like, amassing now as he's going, as he's sending out the 72, right? So they're hearing stories. They're hearing you know, rumors and, and, you know, Ben is saying, Hey, you know what? Uh, I, I couldn't walk, you know, and, and he came by and touched me and now I can walk. And the people are sitting around, you're having, you know, dinner together. Like, wow, if, if I ever hear that this guy's in the area, I'm definitely coming. Well, you know what? He's going to be, you know, in Bethsaida next week, you know, or whatever. And it's like, now the 72 are reaching out and all these people are reaching out and word is spreading. And he goes from, obscurity to like masses of thousands and thousands of people many of which yeah maybe at the end of the day they're going home they're going back to their their jobs their work whatever but there's some of them that are like you know hey man you gave me my life back and so but how about those who I'm like you. how about those that like they, like we talked about this before who were part of those who were healed and maybe even followed along and maybe were part of the 70 or 72 who were there at the end right. saying, who do you want back? Right. Do you want Jesus or uh, Barabbas? And right. they were saying, Barabbas, Barabbas. Well, yeah, right. the fair, cool, you know, if you read some, see some of these stories, yeah, you picture the, the Pharisees there, you know, riling the crowd up to say, we want Barabbas back. But how about, uh, speaking of the chosen, uh, when they're looking for a field for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you have this businessman that's there with somebody, and I didn't know who it was at first because they don't say his name, and he, he's got an acolyte with him, let's say, that's going to be his business partner, and that guy's smooth and slick, and he's and he's saying, we can do this with him. And then he says, hey, I want to go see this guy, and who does that turn out to be? Judas. Right. Judas. So he wants to go see me, wants to follow me, and, and well, we know what happens to the end of that story. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're, we're so easily distracted, right? We're so easily distracted, or we lose sight of things that are important, like, have you guys ever seen like a, a truly amazing performance from like a magician? And you're just like, that was incredible, right? And, then, all. And, and you tell people, you're like, oh, I saw this yeah. guy and it was great. And you're excited to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But then the next day you're back at the office, or you're back at work or you're back with your family and the struggles of everyday life come back. And it's like, you forgot about this truly amazing thing that you just saw. Mm -hmm. it, it, and that's just me saying like, 
a, a crappy magic show. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. compared to say like a miracle. So like I've experienced miracles in my own personal life. I've also seen other people's lives, uh, their lives affected by miracles. But it's like how quickly do we just go back to our everyday life when we forget about it? So it's it's almost like our default is to just be like a chicken with our head cut off and just live out the motions of our daily life, right? We, we don't sit there and always repent back to opening the Bible and giving God thanks and singing praises and worship or going to church or or giving from a from a place of joy gen generosity to, to people in need or your church in need or whatever the case may be it's like we don't always it's like our our predisposition is rebellion or confusion or distraction it's like we're not in the right frame of mind moment to moment and so it's like you're, you're in this like struggle right like we're and this goes for believers and non-believers like you were just saying it's like the miracle of jesus forgiving us and absolving us of our sins is so profound. Right. It's like, you don't even realize it when you're living in that much sin. You just think that you're fine. Right. You're, you're, you're blissfully unaware of how sin is destroying the creation and how it's destroying your own life and how ultimately the wages of sin is death. And so the reason why you're gonna have to go through death is because of all this mess that we've created. Well, I gotta say this, Johnny, at one point I was blissfully unaware but I'm aware of it now, but that doesn't stop the struggle of course, yeah. every day. Just when you're talking, it's making me think about what my mind is on. When I'm, when I, when I read the Bible every day, I'm, I'm in this in the morning and the evening. And as I'm reading it, I'm, I'm, I'm going through that struggle. I'm asking Jesus, what do you want me to do? I, I, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I'm doing it right. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? It is a constant struggle. So I am... I am not blissfully unaware. I am tragically aware. aware I, I am know. tragically yeah. yes, aware yes, of yes. the deficiencies, and I ask myself every day, you know, what, what can I do, Lord? <laughs> you know, part of the problem with um, Christianity as we know it in our country, maybe maybe other places too. I don't know, but is that there's a a heavy and possibly overemphasis on belief and a lower emphasis on follow. Like living it out, right? Right. So Jesus, you know, I mean, he did say in John 3, 16, anyone who believes in me will not perish. But but what did he say to all the disciples? He didn't say believe in me. He said follow me, yeah. right? And it was the following that these other things happened. And so it's one thing, like you're saying, you know, um, there there's the belief, oh, the, you know, I, I believe but then if you're not following which is the discipleship right, right? And, yeah. and which is like what you're saying almost like the the daily like wrestling scripture talks about continuing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling right where it's like we're like you know i i want to go down this path i want to follow jesus versus the oh yeah i believe it you know and, and that's and that's enough and so um so obviously there there's lots of uh theology that could get you know dissected in that but just the overarching theme is that Jesus wants followers, not believers. He wants disciples. Right? Yeah. He, he said, what's the Great Commission? Yeah. He didn't say, go and make converts. Right? He said, go and make disciples. Yeah, he didn't say, go and make believers. He said, go and make followers. Yeah, right. Make disciples. Make followers. Teach them all these things that I have taught you. And, you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all these things. And then, you know, obviously I'll be with you. Till the end of the age so it's that more it's the uh the the active versus passive side of following you know it's 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 not a passive 
thing. It's active. I mean, these, these disciples literally were actively following Jesus, like literally. They, they made a, a decision to do that, and it, it's funny you said that, Judah, about following, because I, I had this highlighted, we, going back to chapter 9, verse 23, the conditions of service, I call it. Then he said to the crowd, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I know we had probably talked about that last week, but it's right there. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Right. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And then, you know, there's several translations to this next verse, 25. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul or lose yourself or get destroyed? Yeah. And this is this is the struggle. Well, and, and, and it's in contrast a little bit to you know Ben's got a <clears throat> shirt on with John three sixteen, obviously, which is uh, you know greatest hits of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Coming in whoever, at number one. What's that? Coming in at number one yeah, for greatest yeah. hits of the Bible. That whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Right. And, and number one, we we often extract that as a standalone verse without understanding the context. Um, again. To reference, uh, chosen. Um, I, I like their character development with Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus was was uh, was a great character. Many people fail to realize that all of John three was a theological discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus, right? So they're there talking on a high level, you know, where where Nicodemus is like questioning and Jesus is like. Ignoring like, him and giving him statements. Yeah, and he's like, he's like <laughs> weaving these, this thing. He's like, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him would not perish forever, everlasting life. Right? So that's true. But what's also true is what you just said. If anyone wants to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You know, and it's like, so, so there's this juxtaposition. There's the belief, but there's also the taking up your cross. You know, it's the belief and the action to follow. Is belief enough? Yes and no. It's like you have to. It's like what what Paul talks about, right? Faith without works is death. Is James? Yeah, and, faith and, without yeah, works. James. Yeah, and, and so so it's it's the matter of are you are you rowing your rowboat with only faith? You're going in circles. Are you rowing your rowboat with only works? You're going in circles. It's only when I'm using them together, faith and works, belief and following, conversion and disciple that now I'm able to move forward in my faith. And, and again, I think it's so easy to like, you know, it's like we, we pick one or the other. Well, it's just a belief. Well, yeah, maybe. It's not maybe. one or the other. It's both at the same time, like is what you're right. saying. Oh, yeah, which is, which is absolutely, as you're reading the scriptures, as you're studying. It's two biblical, wings on an airplane. Exactly, exactly. So, but humans, we always want to put things into categories. So it's like, well, it says this, so which one, which one is it? Right. It is both in tandem, in harmony, in unison, in right relationship with one another. Right. Period. Right. So yeah. Well, and, and this was this is the big thing, right? With uh, with uh, what the Catholic Church and Martin Luther or whatever. Yeah, the it's Reformation. Like, yeah. It's like you've got the, the 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 saved by works, and then you've got the by grace. You know, by grace we're saved. And by now, grace alone. Yeah. 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 And, and it, it's yeah. like it's um, it's easy to to fall off the 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 fence of saying, oh well, it's just belief in grace and I don't have to do anything and you're right you don't like you can't earn it but you still have to follow and and you know the other side was that well we're just going to do all this good stuff and maybe we'll earn our way to God 
And you can't, but it's it's when we can use those things. Well, we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago where I, I was talking about, like, you know, if you're trying to get redemption by evening out the score, you don't even know what the score is. Right. How many sins have you had? How many lustful right. thoughts have you had? You know? It's, I, I think they yeah. complement one another, though. It's like, I think outside of faith, I may have done, like, kindness or, or good deeds just because I was in the mood to do it or I, or for whatever reason. Right. For no, for no reason other than the fact that it, it happened, right? Mm. But when you have faith in God, right, you have reasons to believe. It's not just like, oh, I can't explain that, so I'm just going to choose to believe. It's like when you have real faith because of experience and because of knowledge and relationship with God, it leads you down this path of wanting to know God more because mm -hmm. you realize how much he knows about you and how much he's doing for you. So you're like, well, let me go learn about him more. And the more you learn about the character of God, you're like, well, that's kind of shocking. Yeah. That's unsettling. Yeah. Well, this is making me kind of nervous now. Oh, but this next part of the Bible, man, this really just brings me so much joy. Or this just, this is so heartwarming what he did for this widow. Mm -hmm. Or for, so you, just, you fall in love with, with the character of Christ, or you fall in love with, with the Father, or you see what the Holy Spirit is doing. You're like, this is incredible. And so you get all excited. And now that you have this faith, you're like, well, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. What am I going to do about it? And so you start maybe serving at your church or sharing a, a Bible track. Or, or maybe it's just a conversation with a coworker, or maybe you're praying for people in your car before you even go in, right? You start to realize that because you were abiding in the vine, right, because you're attached to Christ, because you're remaining in Jesus, that Holy Spirit is flowing from Christ, from the head, right, to the body, and now you're bearing fruit. It's not the other way around. You're not going to make the fruit and bring all your fruit to God and be like, look at all these good deeds I did and right. get to... You know, they're going to open the pearly gates and, oh, you get to walk in. It's not like that. It's all through Jesus. That's, that's the thing. So, but without, without your faith, you're never going to start doing good works. So it's like, you could, like you said, you're rowing in circles. And, and it's the other way around. Let's say you're just doing good deeds because you're like, I'm a good person. Good, 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 good. It's like, that doesn't matter if you don't have God. Right. It literally doesn't get you anywhere outside of being attached through yeah, Christ. And then to come full circle, if we do those good deeds, we have the faith and we do those good deeds and... We can't let uh, pride get in our way about those good deeds. Well, it is so pride without yeah. Christ. Yeah, exactly. Apart from Christ, good deeds are prideful because you're saying to God when you die, what do you mean I'm not going in? What do you mean I don't get to go into heaven? Look at all these great things I did. It says our best deeds, our, our goodest works, I always joke, well, it, our filthy rags when, before the Father. When, when you talk to people, say, you know, if you get to heaven, why do you think God should let you in? You know, most people will be like, well, I'm a good person. But isn't that again rooted in pride? It's like you're assuming you're like, well, I'm I'm good enough. Like I I can do this on my own. Like you know, I I, I had a lot of good things that you know I did. I, I helped some people when I needed to. I was at the grocery store once, and the girl in front of me was two dollars short, and I gave her two dollars. Like as if somehow that is enough to buy our salvation. Now, is it good? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's great that we do that. But, but does it dismiss your sin? No. And, Only and, Jesus and, can and, forgive and you of your is, sin. This is where like the illustration I used last time was the idea of, of a window pane, right? And uh, and if the window pane is, is broken, you crack it, no amount of Windex that you put on that is going to make that window restored, right? Mm -hmm. Only when once it's restored, now I put Windex on it, and now I'm, maintain, I'm making it clear, uh, this is great, I can use the Windex, it maintains the, you know, the integrity, I'm maintaining, same with a car, right? You know, it's like, Oh, my car was broken. Doesn't matter how many take, times you take it to the car wash, if uh, or you wash your car in your driveway, if your transmission's gone, like it doesn't matter. But once the transmission gets fixed, well, now I'm going to wash the car. I'm going to change the oil. I'm going to put gas in it because I'm maintaining this. But all of those things prior to the transmission getting fixed, 
just like all these good works that we do prior to our heart getting fixed means absolutely nothing. But once the heart gets fixed, once the belief is lined up, now the good deeds, hey, they, they help us to grow closer to God. They help us to be a disciple. They help us to be a, a real follower of, uh, of Jesus. And that's why, like, I mean, I don't tend to use the term Christian a whole lot because in our culture, the idea of Christian has really gotten more of a, this idea of like, well, where do you go to church, or, or what, 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 what is your belief system? Your and it's yeah, and it's it's not so much about the belief system. It's about okay, you know what? We're gonna split here in just a few minutes, and what's the rest of our day gonna look like? You know, I mean, are we following Jesus actively throughout the day, or are we just yeah? How's your marriage? Yeah. Are you a Christian at home with your wife and kids, right. or only on Sunday? Right. Uh, what, what I was gonna say, just I know we gotta wrap it up, is just. Your good deeds don't get you into heaven. Your sins keep you out of heaven. Right. That's what it is. And only Jesus can forgive you of your sins. He's the only one who his blood is going to, who has been shed for you and for many, whoever will take that gift of salvation. That's the important part. Good deeds in heaven doesn't make sense. Right. Sin keeping you out of heaven makes perfect sense. And that's the, that's the important thing to recognize. When I was reading um, in the Old Testament, it's... Uh, it's Jacob before he's Israel, right? And his brother Esau, right? And what you what you realize if you actually meditate or read that story multiple times is Jacob is a bad guy. He basically he basically robs his brother. He swindles, yeah, he sw he swindles his brother, right? From his father. So he lies to his father, he cheats his brother, and what does God do? God chooses the lying, disobedient son who's a swindler, who's a thief. Why does God choose that? Yeah. Why not Esau? Esau didn't do anything wrong. He's the victim here, isn't he? Same and reason he chose Paul. Yeah. <laughs> but but what I what, what I've come to what well, I've Judas and you knew Judas was gonna. Yeah, but my point that I'm making here is what I've come to realize is that it was easy for me to look at God and be like, God, why would you do that? Oh yes, you're God. It's your sovereignty, and I would just write it off as sovereignty. But what it is is that Esau. It says that all have committed sin. Right. That there's not one truly sinless good person no. ever in, in humanity, right? So Esau is guilty of sin. Right. But we're not focused on it. We're just focused on him being the victim, right? Right. And so God has redeemed Jacob, right? Has absolved him of his sins, so to speak. And so now Esau is left with his sin. So God can choose whoever he wants and save whoever he wants. Of course. And, and, that, and that's what he does. And you say, you know, well, well God, you know, why can you do that? Why? And you answered it because he's God. It'd be the same thing as when Judah was saying before, you, you get to heaven and you're in front of God and you say, well, I did this good deed and that good deed. How could anything that we do, no matter what it is, I help someone across the street to use Judah's example or anything, compare to, to God, to, to, all, to all the works that he's done? I mean, anything we would do would be it wouldn't even register on any scale. Dave, so, but you don't understand. I paid for her groceries. Yeah, yeah. Don't you get that? <laughs> well, again, let, let me know, look that up, Ben, in the in the annals here. Yeah. When, when our debt is so big, again, that's that's the spray in the Windex on the broken glass. Yeah. You know, it, it's uh, yeah, okay, that's nice, but your glass is still broken. You know, okay, that's nice, but your heart is still still far from me, yeah. and and that's where it's that cooperation of the belief and and the works, which obviously we see even in Jesus' ministry, um, there was times where the people were following, but the belief stopped, right? And they're like, you know what? It's like when Jesus started talking about, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and everybody oh, right. started yeah. taking off, you know, and, and 
He's like, well, you know, there, there they go. Um, because the cost became too great. Um, they, they're like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to believe this any further. And then again, to the point we were talking about before, you got the triumphal entry where they're saying Hosanna. And then you got a couple of days later, they're saying crucify him. Yeah, give us the and, Barabbas. Yeah, yeah and, and how many of those people had friends, family, or themselves had experienced healing yeah. or, or eaten the bread that he multiplied? Fickle. You fickle know, audience. Just, fickle crowd. Yeah. I was just going to say the fickle crowd. I remember that from uh, Shakespeare, but that's another story here. But what you're saying, Judah, I, it made me think of going back to we don't, going back to six, Luke six and 43, the tree and its fruit, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and bad tree can't produce good fruit. And then he goes on and it's, it's what you said about the heart. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Just like you right. said, Judy. Right there. The right. human, the human heart is uncurably sick. The Bible says it's wicked and deceitful above all things. Or who can understand it? Yeah. And the Bible also teaches that. Not only does the Bible teach you that your heart is incurably sick, but the Bible teaches you that God will give you a new one. Right. Okay, that one's dead and gone. So here, remove your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, right. a heart that loves righteousness, that loves holiness and godliness and following Christ. Right. That's this is the big thing. It's like. As believers, we talk about, you know, it says taking, taking up your cross, right? That's our daily struggle with, are we doing it right? But recognizing it, like you said, tragically aware, right? The problem is, is that we still commit sins even as believers, right? So here we are, Jesus restores. So we have this big pane window, like Judah says, this illustration of this window. It's got this big crack corner to corner. And we could spray Windex on it all day on the outside so it looks nice and pretty. But in actuality, Jesus will seal up that crack, like a cracked windshield on your car, and now it's perfect again. Right. And now you can clean it. But what do we do? We recrack it every time we sin. <laughs> but in order in order for him to do that, we have to have faith. And we have to have repentance. We have to believe. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it's it, it's in six here. It, just the last comment I'll make, I think, is that um, the centurion. And we and, and I asked a question then, and Jesus did too, about I haven't seen this kind of faith. He said, he, he knows he was unworthy, right? Did he say something like, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Just heal my, heal my servant from wherever you are, basically, was what he was saying, because he had faith in him. And here was a guy you know, that didn't have ears. He could have. He was a centurion and a very powerful figure back then. And so who are we? What, are we? what have we got? And he didn't have pride. He, he, he bowed to Jesus, the highest authority at that time. So we need to have the faith to seal that crack that we're all talking about here on the window. Okay. Well, with that, let's uh, let's wrap up. We'll continue uh, next week reading the same section here. A lot of good stuff. Oh, uh, I love this. Came out. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about the whole thing with uh, we're comparing it to a car on a cracked windshield. It's like yes. it's like insurance. Your insurance will cover you, but you got to pay your premium. That's right. like that whole thing of like you know I'm saved. though I'm always saved. Yeah. It's like, well, if you paid your insurance company one time, they're not going to be like, well, you, oh, you paid us five years ago. Yeah, we'll cover it. Yeah. Ben wants to do commercials yeah, for Right, right. Out. So call right now for your free insurance. Quote. What's your jingle? You got a yeah. jingle? <laughs> you need a jingle and a mascot. Don't you see the commercials? Good stuff. Good stuff for sure. So, so yeah, make sure you tune back in next week. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast also consider sharing it on social media we can't wait to be back together with you at the thriving in the word podcast